The Spender Myers Funeral Home and the Bakke Funeral Home and Crematory are proud sponsors of Our American Heritage. Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome as our very special guest, Mr. Dave Stull. Dave, welcome to the program. Thank you, Arch. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for coming on. And and listeners, this is uh, uh, the remembrance of Veterans Day week. And so I've asked Dave Stull to come on. He is a veteran of, of our military and he has a, a very nice background in our military. So before, Dave, we talk about your experience in the military, would you uh, introduce yourself to our listeners, your educational background, your family, uh, what you've been doing for the past 30-some years, and then we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll get right into it. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, once again, thank you so much for asking me to be on, Arch. It's, it's a real honor to be able to talk about uh, – Veterans Day and the military and uh, something that uh, I spent quite a few years of my life uh, participating in. Uh, just a little background on me. I grew up on a, a large cattle ranch uh, wheat farming operation in central Washington way back in, in the day, if you will. Then <laughs> <laughs> I'm a retired teacher from uh, Alaska. Uh, thought I was retired anyway. I spent 23 years in Alaska. And uh, my wife, uh, Jenny, and I, uh, we moved down here to northern Utah about uh, seven years ago to be closer to her family. And I realized that uh, I wasn't any good at retirement. So I went back into the classroom and I currently teach at uh, a school called Intech Collegiate Academy. Uh, it's a public charter school, STEM charter school. I am the social studies department uh, for the high school. This is my 34th year of teaching. Uh, married, got two sons. One lives in Denver. He is a hospital administrator for Kaiser. And then my other son and his wife live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And uh, he is a over-the-road long-haul trucker, one of the vital cogs that keeps our uh, country glued together during this uh, pandemic time frame, especially. So that's who I am. Uh, Dave, where'd you receive your formal education? Oh, gosh, I have degrees from a couple of different places. Both of my bachelor's degrees are from Central Washington University in Ellensburg, Washington. I have a degree in criminology and I have a degree in history. I've done postgraduate work at several universities. Probably the most uh, fun one that I did in terms of the classwork and uh, the experience uh, was at the Naval War College there in Rhode Island and uh, currently working on my master's in history. Wow. And I'm taking that work through uh, Utah State University. And you're being a little modest with your background, Dave, because uh, you and I share several things in common and loves. Tell them a little bit about your uh, background with umpiring baseball and the level which you had gotten to during your, your teaching career. Well, I am a retired uh, Division One baseball umpire. I currently, as one of my side jobs, I am the commissioner for the Pacific Northwest region for Division One baseball for the club sports side of it. I have 16 teams that uh, I'm responsible for all the way from uh, Western Washington University up in Bellingham down here to Weber State and Utah State and all the schools in Oregon and Montana, Idaho and Washington. I umpired in uh, 
actually, I've, I've, my highest level of umpire in Arch was uh, I was a relief umpire in the Pioneer League, which is the yeah. professional short short A season league. Yep, yep I and, remember. Uh, that. So I, uh, yeah, I, I love it. I, I had to retire after I had my uh, accident that uh, caused me to have to go into physical therapy and learn how to walk all over again uh, here just two or three years ago. But uh, I still stay in the game. I love it. I, I tell my students that baseball is not a sport, it's a lifestyle. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and listen, so, I, I don't claim to have been a good baseball player. And I played for many years. And listeners, when I was younger, I had much more of a temper than do now. And I can tell you that I was not a friend of many umpires. But if you ever had Dave Stoll umpire one of your games, no one would argue with him. His, you can tell by his voice alone that he commands that authority. So, you know, Dave. Well, they might argue with they might argue with me, but they probably aren't going to argue very long, at least uh, within the white lines of the field. So, <laughs> well, I'm dumb but not stupid. No, I I, I saw that. No, I'm not. I would always tell my player, do not argue with this umpire he's right and let's move on so <laughs> yeah, yeah well dave tell our listeners about your military background and, and information as we talk about you as a veteran and first thank you for your service thank you for volunteering to be our military and help protecting us and god bless every one of you veterans who have served or are serving or will serve in the military so thank you well thank you and uh once again, thank you for having me. I, I consider it to be a real honor to be able to participate in anything that has to do with uh, the military, the veterans, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, my military background uh, honestly started before I even graduated from high school. I had enlisted in Christmas vacation of my senior year of high school. Uh, I was on the swim team at our high school. And uh, it was kind of a toss-up, Arch, between whether I was going to go Air Force or whether I was going to go Navy. And uh, the Navy slots at that point in time were full. And so a real good friend of mine was in the Air Force. And so I enlisted in the Air Force, was in the process of being trained to be a pararescue swimmer. And I got uh, a pretty severe injury in that training. And they medically discharged me in uh, late 1971. So. I knew where we were headed. If I'd made it through, I, I was okay going to Vietnam uh, if I had to go. Uh, a lot of my friends had gone. In fact, there's on the wall in Washington, D.C., there are the names of 14 of my classmates uh, from a small high school uh, in Yakima, Washington. And uh, one of my best friends, kind of his death caused me to really evaluate whether or not I wanted to, to volunteer or not. And I don't know, those of us that grew up during the 60s, I, I think, uh, I, you know, that, that was an incredible time to grow up, first of all, and be in high school and, and college. But where I came from, you know, a conservative ranch farm background, uh, that was all the kind of things that the kids did. And I think we were afflicted somewhat with the John Wayne syndrome. Mm -hmm. uh, as I call it. And, you know, <laughs> the good guys always win and the bad guys never do. And if you get killed, well, you come back the next time and, and do it better and you know, that kind of a thing. Long story short, though, I got out. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just kind of bummed around. I tried a couple of different colleges. Uh, 
I had a baseball scholarship to a, a pretty good school in Oregon. Uh, went down there and tried that. And that didn't work out because I, quite honestly, I was uh, like a lot of guys uh, that were just coming out of the military. We were more concerned with uh, uh, chasing girls and a good time than we were in chasing our uh, academic aspects. Uh, so I got my shoulder repaired and uh, went back into the service. Only this time I went into the Navy. Uh, the slot had opened up. I had received a an appointment, uh, an alternate appointment, actually, uh, to the Naval Academy uh, in what would have been the class of 1977. And uh, so as I was, given that I was an alternate, I couldn't go that year. So uh, my recruiter said, well, why don't you come on active duty? And then if that opening is there, uh, you know, next year at this time, we'll discharge you in, uh, from, you know, active duty and send you to Annapolis. And so that was the track that I took and ended up uh, becoming a submarine sailor. It was on the boats for about 13 years. Wow. Wow. Uh, both on missile boats and on fast attacks. My specialty was in the area of uh, sonar. And um, I actually ended my submarine duty time being what is called an acoustics intelligence writer. And uh in a nutshell, uh, those guys' jobs is to go out on fast attacks and uh, look for look for the bad guys and try to determine uh, you know what what their new submarines are all about. So I did a lot of duty out in the Pacific. Did quite a bit of duty up uh, uh, around Murmansk and, and in that area. If you've seen the movie The Hunt for Red October. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the black guy Jonesy, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, sure. sonar tech. Uh, that's that's pretty much uh, what I did. I was in that department, and that's uh, that's what I did for the majority of my time. Huh. Got out and stayed in the reserves, and uh, that that pretty much is is what happened. So, tell our listeners, Dave, because most of our listeners and myself included, you know, our our picture of a submarine is that of World War II. Tell our listeners, please. <laughs> You know, the modern subs that you served on, uh, the the, the uh, crew size and approximately how large our submarines and the firepower that, you know, our modern sub- – and don't please give away any national se- national secrets here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I can tell you, and then uh, you'll have to imagine the rest. But okay. uh, <laughs> we uh, – well, there were some of the boats that I served on that were – you know, uh, late World War II aspect, there were a couple of diesel boats that uh, were still operating in the early 70s. And uh, so we, and, and those would be realistically what, what most people would think of from watching, you know, the movies uh, from from the World War II era. But the modern boats that we were on, and, and I say modern because I, I look back on them now and the newest Trident boats that were coming off uh, missile boats that were coming off the uh, the ramps uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, I, I just realized that they're being replaced by this new uh, class called the Columbia class that they just authorized, Congress just authorized to, uh, to build. But um, my boat was the USS Ethan Allen. That was the one that I had uh, done the most time on. Uh, it was a missile boat uh, for the most 
most of the time we were head uh, stationed out of Guam. Uh, we did our off cruise in Hawaii, and uh, you'd go out, you'd submerge and uh, stay under for 70 to 80 days at a time, and uh, ho- hopefully you never got the uh, the launch order for real. We, we did a lot of we did a lot of uh, practices and and uh, practice missile uh, launches and and whatnot, um, but we were about 410 feet long had a crew of about 140 guys. I'd say probably the average age of our of our submarine crews was in the uh, mid to late 20s. Mm-hmm. All of our officers, uh, for the most part, were academy trained. Everybody had to go through sub school in New London, Connecticut. And those that were nuclear trained, uh, you know, they came to us uh, from different spots around the United States. Back then, uh, there was four or five different nuclear training facilities where they, they would train these guys, and then they would send them out to the boats. And my seashore rotation, which meant that, you know, I was assigned to a seagoing uh, vessel for uh, as opposed to being on shore duty, but my seashore rotation, I was uh, six years at sea for every year that I spent ashore. And so it, uh, we spent a lot of time underwater. I think the longest that I was ever underwater at one time was almost a hundred days. Jeez. So, David, let me. I believe I heard you correctly. You said your sub was about four hundred and ten feet long. Yes. And you about, and you had a crew of about a hundred and forty. And I had, Dave, I had no idea that our modern submarines are are that long. You know, that's actually the Trident boats are actually the Trident boats are longer than that because we had uh, the capability to carry 16 uh, long range ballistic missiles. The Trident boats could carry 24. And so they were actually about 500 and a little over 500 feet long, about twice the length of of a football field. And um, listeners, let me let me if Dave, we're from the Philly area. We go everything judged by sports listeners that's standing at home plate at Citizens Bank Park <laughs> and, and hitting the center field Ivy wall. That's how long approximately one of those submarines is. That's just an amazing length. Dave. I had no idea that they were that large today. Yeah, yeah, they really are. And the firepower on them is absolutely mm. Unbelievable. Uh, in in one of my classes that I teach, we uh, I bring some films in. I bring some pictures from my days and whatnot. I show my students uh, because I've actually got uh, two or three kids right now that are in uh, Nuki Power School uh, going to the boats after they get done. And the firepower on one of our modern day boats has the capacity to take out 24 cities the size of New York from a distance of about six to 7,000 miles. Wow. Uh, the, accuracy, the accuracy of our weapons systems, even back in the 70s, um, if I was to fire a missile from the Pacific Range down off of Inuitok, which is down in the South Central Pacific, uh, if you were to ask me, can you put this inside Yankee Stadium from there? 
I'd say, where do you want it inside Yankee Stadium? I can put it on top of I can put it on top of the pitcher's mound if you want from that far away. Well, Dave, um, I, I would ask you to put it into the uh, the uh, Boston the, the Red Sox dugout. <laughs> God, after what's been going on, I might take you up on that offer. Why <laughs> um, did you have the um, freedom to pick uh, subs? And if you did, why did why would why did you pick submarines rather than an aircraft carrier or, or a larger ship? Well, I had been both above <laughs> above the water uh, surface and below you know below the surface. Uh, on some training cruises and honestly arch the one that i was on a on an aircraft carrier on we were in a storm off of hawaii and now imagine imagine an aircraft carrier that's almost a thousand feet long mm -hmm. and the flight deck is approximately 90 feet above the surface when the surface is calm you know, you guys have probably all seen Top Gun and, you know, right. all of those kinds of. Well, we were actually taking water waves over the flight deck. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and I I, I just said to myself, self, uh, <laughs> if you're going to do this, there, there, there's got to be a better way to do this. And. I, I, you know, so we went subs and uh, but I've been in some pretty pretty bad storms in submarines too. I, I mean, I've been down to, uh, here again, it's a classified depth, but I can tell you that I've been as deep as 600 feet under the surface and taking 25 to 30 degree rolls uh, from one side to the other because of, a, of the storm conditions. Huh. So that, that, that gets to be pretty, you know, when they say, uh, you know, you get your sea legs and and those kinds of things. There's there's a real reason for that because uh, uh, once you come back from doing that and you're underwater for you know 70, 80 days at a time, um, and you you crack the hatch for the first time, God, it's amazing how bad fresh air smells after you've been <laughs> breathing, after you've been breathing, uh, you know, chemically treated air mm -hmm. uh, inside of a you know in, in essence a 400 foot long sewer tube. So. But yeah, now Dave, it, what, it's quite a lifestyle. It's just you know, this information is just fascinating to me, and my I'm, my act, my mouth is dropped open when you're giving me these numbers and how uh, how long you stayed under and so on. Uh, was there, Dave? Did you ever experience any uh, close encounters with uh, any Soviet subs or any any other country subs that were not friendly towards the United States? Yes. That's it. Okay. <laughs> and well, you know, here, here, here's my dilemma. You know, I still have my security clearance. I still okay. have to be very careful what I, what I say. Um, but you know, then it, we, we kind of got to laughing about this. Some of the guys that were on Ethan Allen and I were, you know, we were talking about this and, um, uh, all of a sudden, you know, Tom, when when you get out of submarines, you sign a document that says that, you know, you will not discuss certain items for basically forever. Sure. And then all of a sudden, Tom Clancy comes out and starts writing all these books 
And we're kind of sitting there scratching our head going, damn, wasn't that one of the things that we weren't supposed to be talking about? Uh, you know, and uh, we just kind of looked at each other, you know, and raised the proverbial eyebrow and, and yeah. go from there. But, you know, but yeah, we we had some rather interesting uh, situations with, uh, you know, Cousin Ivan and uh, some places that uh, you you would just as soon not ever have to go to again. Sure. Um, is that can can you extrapolate from that without me uh, yeah, revealing too much I, more? I I can use my imagination and I, first I apologize. I don't mean for you to give away any national secrets. So I'm asking some questions purely out of stupidity and ignorance and and so uh, yes, that, that I can understand. Uh, can you compare? The technology on United States submarines compared to uh, when you were in the Soviet subs or the, or the, the Chinese subs or anyone else of even an ally of ours. Yeah, I, I can. Uh, you know, we had, and this kind of goes back to the incident where the USS Thresher was lost on her test dives off of the coast there of New England. The Navy finally figured out what caused that accident and the loss of the boat and the crew. And they instituted what was called a sub-safe program, where they went in and they redid the configurations of the ballast tank tubes and several of the air systems and the high-pressure air systems. And so throughout the late 60s and the 70s, U.S. technology was absolutely head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, we were so quiet that we could literally sneak up underneath of a submarine or a cruiser or an aircraft carrier. We could be within 10, 12, 15 feet underneath them, and they'd never know we were there. Do what we needed to do and then just quietly let them go on their way and, and uh, you know, head back home. And, you know, they they would never know. But in the 1970s and 80s, we had some incidents where there were some sailors and folks that decided that money was more important to them than the lives and the technology uh, superiority for the U.S. And so long story short, uh, our technology and our blueprints ended up in the hands of uh, people that we would just assume didn't have them to the point to where Soviet submarines today are once again making a comeback and they are under Vladimir Putin. They are pretty good. Uh, now, are they better than what we have? Categorically, no, they're not. Would it be a situation where I would really want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a bunch of them just to find out how close they were <laughs> here again? No, I would not. No. <laughs> uh, you know, and what, you know, Lord only knows what the Chinese have. You know, I'm sure that the Soviets and the Russians have been sharing with them. I, I think probably my favorite ally, though, to deal with was the Brits. I got to do a three-month cruise on a British uh, submarine as an exchange officer, and a uh, whole different whole different approach. <laughs> yeah. Man, I mean, they're good at what they do. Make no mistake about it. They're, they're good at what they do. If anybody doesn't think so, just ask the Argentinians. They can tell you how good their submarines <laughs> were down in the Falklands. I had an opportunity to do a tour on a ballistic missile boat, and uh, those guys really, they, they understood tactics. They understood weapons. They understood the principle of it pays to be a winner. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that's how they approach things. 
Dave, we are up against time for this program, so I would like to pick up this story with you on our next program, if you would. Okay. But again, you're telling us fascinating information. And again, listeners, Dave Stoll is a veteran of the United States military. He's spent many years serving our nation. And again, we thank you, Dave, for one for volunteering to join our military and helping protect us. And thank you for that. And also thank you for coming today and sharing some of your story with us. And we're looking forward to the next show with you. So Dave, thank you for coming. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This is WFYL 1180, Working for Your Liberty. Freedom is not a gift bestowed upon us by other men, but a right that belongs to us by the laws of God and nature. A quote from Benjamin Franklin. The Spender Myers Funeral Home and the Bakke Funeral Home and Crematory are proud sponsors of Our American Heritage.